0: Today's episode of Scaling Up H2O is proudly sponsored by the Association of Water Technologies. AWT has been the backbone of the water treatment industry for over 35 years. AWT is your place to learn more about water treatment with opportunities such as wastewater training, sales training, basic water treatment training, and technical training. AWT's publication, The Analyst, provides tips, tricks, and new technologies to help you enhance your water treatment programs. To find out more about AWT or become a member, go to awt.org. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up H2O. Of course, we all know this podcast is the podcast that helps us scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And I have to tell you, one of my favorite things is when a member of the Scaling Up Nation contacts me either through the website or the many ways that we have to contact on the website, you can go to scalinguph2o.com and you can go to our show ideas page and you can type something to me, you can uh, click on the right side of the main page, and you can leave your voice telling me something. Lots of people ask questions, and of course, I always ask for your questions because that is just so helpful with my show ideas. And a lot of times, as you know, I will play your voice on the air as we are answering that question. But the thing I really want to thank everybody for is for those of you that have reached out to me and said that this podcast has made a difference in your life, many have said that their work was just the same thing over and over and over again, wash, rinse, repeat, and it was kind of boring. But they heard something on this podcast that made them try something new, and that led them to trying something else new. And several of those people have written in to tell me because they're trying new things, it has just breathed new life into their career. And maybe before it wasn't a career, maybe it was a job before and now it has become a career. So I love those stories. Those are so motivating to me. And I appreciate you sharing that with me because again, I'm just this guy in Atlanta, Georgia that happens to no water treatment since ever, since my father and mother had me. Of course, my my father was a water treater and uh, kind of snuck water treatment into things that we would do I've shared on the show that I remember being a, uh, a young boy, and I would do titrations. Had no idea what I was doing, but I was counting how many drops were going in to make one color change to another. And, and from that, eventually, I became to love this industry, and I started this podcast. Well, I started this podcast to raise the bar in the water treatment industry. And again, I'm just in Atlanta, Georgia, behind this microphone. And I don't know if that bar is getting raised unless you tell me. And so many of you out there have shared that with me. And I personally wanna thank you because that just warms my heart and makes me know that all the work that we do on this podcast, all the work that the staff does on this podcast is worthwhile. So thank you very much for that. And of course, last month, we celebrated Legionella Awareness Month, the Scaling Up Nation declared the month of August Legionella Awareness Month. And we did that because the NSF normally holds the Legionella conference during the last week of August. Well, because of everything going on, they weren't able to do that. So they rescheduled it for January of 21. So if you're interested in going to that, you can go to our show notes page and we'll have a link that will take you to information on that conference. But we figured, as the Scaling Up Nation, as a community of water treaters, What a great opportunity to learn more about Legionella. So I hope you enjoyed Legionella Awareness Month, and I hope that is just the start of what you learn about Legionella and Legionnaire's disease. I always believe that when we have better information, we can make better decisions. And of course, we can always have better conversations with our clients who are ultimately responsible for making decisions around Legionella. Now, speaking of conferences, the Association of Water Technologies Conference is just right around the corner. And that's actually what we're gonna be talking about today amongst some other things. My guest today is Tom Branvold of Premier Water. And Tom is also this year's Associations of Water Technologies president. And he is going to let us know Everything we need to know about this year's conference, because if you have not heard, it is a virtual conference. And I know a lot of people think, oh my goodness, it's a virtual conference. I can't get what I need out of a virtual format. Well, folks, there's actually a lot that the virtual format has to offer. I personally am going to miss seeing all of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation like we do each and every time we all assemble at an AWT event. But the fact of the matter is, with everything going on, that just can't happen this year. So this is the next best thing. And Tom is going to share what that experience is going to be like. And he's also going to share his experience as being a water treater for well over 30 years. So please welcome our guest, Tom Brandbold. My lab partner today is Tom Branvold of Premier Water and this year's Association of Water Technologies president. How are you doing, Tom?
1: Hey, Trace. Fine. Thanks for having me. I um, feel like I'm among royalty here, <laughs> given the list, of, the list of guests you've had on your show over the years.
0: Well, there's no doubt about it. The, the people that come on the show absolutely make that show, and I want to thank you for being one of those people. My pleasure. So, Tom, as we get started, and I know a bunch of people out there in the Scaling Up Nation know who you are, but there might be one or two out in outer Mongolia or somewhere that might not know who you are. So, do you mind telling the nation a little bit about yourself?
1: Not at all, thanks. Uh, Yeah, I was um, born in Nina, Wisconsin to the son of a NALCO rep at the time, and uh, not long after that, uh, my dad took a job with... Little outfit called Bets and uh, Betts Laboratories actually, and moved uh, my older brother and me and my mom to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where he kind of started Bets Labs in the southeast. I've ventured around a little bit since then—a little bit of time in the Chicago area, some time in Iowa, and uh, now we're back in Jacksonville. And gosh, I've been president and owner of Premier Water and Energy Technology for. Uh shoot, thirty years now, and we're just having a great time.
0: I bet. Now, uh, my dad did water treatment, as your dad did. I've got to ask: Did you always want to do what your dad did? You know,
1: uh, as a when I was very young, I obviously didn't really understand what my dad did, other than the fact that he usually left on Monday Monday or Tuesday and came back on Thursday or Friday and was gone probably forty weeks a year. And uh, I knew he was a salesman, but I really didn't understand what he did. And I was certain when I was younger that I would do something in uh, baseball or golf or something to do with automobiles. I I never saw myself as a water treater when I was younger. Uh, As I got a little older uh, and my dad started the predecessor company to Premier, um, I had the opportunity to make 25 cents an hour when I was 9 or 10 years old, emptying garbage cans and washing out. Uh, sample bottles, and that was right up my alley. So, that was kind of my introduction to water treatment.
0: Well, obviously, that turned into you doing more and learning more about water treatment. So, basically, what you did, you turned uh, learning a few skills into a lifelong career.
1: Yeah, that's essentially true. Um, What I came to learn about water treatment is that if you apply yourself to our industry, and you become competent at it, you're part of a fraternity, if you will, traced of not a whole lot of people that have a skill set. It's a lifelong skill set, and it's a skill set that not every other person on the street that you meet has. And um, I think that's one of the really attractive things about our industry is if you get good at what we do, um, it's a skill set you carry with you anywhere, and you become part of a group of people that... Um, know a bunch about water, and there are just not a lot of competent water professionals when you talk about how many folks there are in the world and how many water problems there are in the world.
0: Yeah, friend of show, Colin Frayne. I remember he was speaking at an AWT conference years ago. And out of all the people that he had met, he had come up with the statistic that if you were in the water treatment industry for at least two years, and you were fully committed, meaning that you were always learning new things, you were going over and above what the minimums were, that you were in the industry for life. Would you say that's about what you've seen? Yeah,
1: maybe a little more. Than, I may I may go more than two years. I may go three or four or five years, but certainly... After a few years, uh, especially if you've applied yourself and, and you've uh, uh, gone all in in our industry, um, you become so immersed in it, if you will, that uh, you realize that they're, they're, you're part of a select group of people. And it, and it really, it, because if you're good at it, um, it's hard to leave. It's hard to, uh, to leave our industry once you've gotten some proficiency and had some success in our business you realize that your skill set is in such demand that it becomes extraordinarily attractive to stay in our business, to stay in our industry.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it being like a fraternity, and I can't agree with that more. Uh, Not that many people know what it is that we do, so it's hard to go to a party and explain what it is that we do because they just don't have the general context to, to know what it is that we're saying. But when you get... In the same room with people that do the exact same thing that you do, you just have an immediate connection with them.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that, Trace, because when we're together, uh, when my wife and I are together uh, socially and someone's talking about what they do and they ask what I do, she almost always says, you won't understand what he does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pay no (laughs) attention.
1: Exactly. So uh, yeah, what you're saying is very true. Very true.
0: So how did you become the president of Premier Water?
1: When I was 16, I started um, servicing a group of accounts that uh, not overly sophisticated, closed children, hot water loops and things. But when I could drive, I started to uh, have responsibility for a book of business for my dad's company. And then that book of business grew and that responsibility grew. And I ended up working through college and, and having a, a sales and service territory that I took care of. In uh, kind of the mid-80s, I made an offer to my dad. To free him up to do some of the other things that he wanted to do. And I bought his partner out and bought him into a minority position and, and started the, our new company, Premier Water and Energy Technology. That was 1986. My dad continued to work for us as a sales rep, which is what he really liked. Uh, Trace, you and I would be so lucky as to have my dad's gig the last 10 or 15 years he worked. Uh, because he had no responsibility. He took care of his buddies and their accounts, and uh, he and my mom were able to travel, and it was just a great gig for him, and it was good for us as well. So that's kind of how I ended up owning Premier Water.
0: So as the president of Premier Water, what's your day-to-day like?
1: Gosh, that's a great question. As we've been blessed and fortunate enough to grow over the years, I find that more and more of my time is involved in, in Personnel issues and financial issues. And if I had to kind of segment my day, I would say it's not uncommon for 85%, 80, 85% of my time to be involved in those things. But it seems like every day there's a technical component where I'm helping a customer or helping one of our team with a unique technical issue. I get involved in some product development things, and then there's always the oddball administrative thing that I, I get involved in. But I'd say at this point, way more than I want to admit is involved in, in personnel and finance. And a lot of that trace is involved just strategically on you know, what we need to do to be in a really good position a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. So my, my role has become more and more uh, strategic and less and less execution-based, if that makes sense. I, I imagine you've experienced some of the same
0: yeah, it's definitely different when you go from working in the in the field, uh, servicing your own accounts to to running your own business, and uh, and you learn very quickly the job that you love—going out there, talking with customers, running pinks and blues, diagnosing issues. You know, it's almost selfish when you're out there doing that yourself. You've got to go out there with your people and help them hone their skills and and give yourself a little bit to everybody. So one of the rules here at at our company, I don't know if it's at yours, is that you know I'm not allowed to have my own accounts anymore for that reason.
1: Yeah, I don't. uh, I have no direct account responsibility, and sometimes I I rue the day that that happened because some of those days were the simplest days. that I ever had compared to some of the challenges that I run into now compared to that. Uh, Cause you know, there's always satisfaction at the end of the day where you've helped a customer solve a problem or you've sold a new piece of business or you've progressed on a project that you've been working on. And that's not a big part of my day anymore. Um, and then of course there's the AWT component, you know, uh, over the last uh, few years as a board member and now as president of AWT, there's not a week goes by that there's not a, a number of things that, I have to get involved in uh, with the association um, to help our membership and and uh, help move that uh, deal forward. So, uh, yeah, it's just different today. It's different than it was. it's not it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just different.
0: Well, let's talk about AWT for a moment. and there are a lot of people that are listening that have been involved with AWT, but there are also some people out there that have not. AWT is a volunteer organization. You have volunteered, now you're president. So can you, you speak a little bit about you know what AWT does, who they are, and if somebody out there wants to get involved, where should they go?
1: Well, Trace, I tell everybody, if you're involved in water, uh, then you probably ought to be involved in the Association of Water Technologies. AWT is made up of member companies and supplier companies to our industry of people who get involved in water problems, and they may be uh, scale and corrosion and microbiological issues in water systems, uh, but they can also be potable and domestic water and wastewater. So almost without question, if you're involved with water, there's a place for you in AWT. We have members from all over the the country for sure, and more and more members internationally. But uh, AWT strives to be the global voice of the water treatment industry.
0: Tom, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but your dad was responsible for getting AWT going.
1: Yeah, he, uh, uh, he, he was. And um, interesting set of circumstances. It's funny. I trust you saw the, the uh, explosion in Beirut uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, some of the imagery and some of the videos are amazing. But it, it's interesting. AWT had its uh, birth, if you will, out of a similar event that happened in Bhopal, India, where a Union Carbide plant had a similar explosion and a bunch of folks lost their lives and a bunch of injuries. And not long after that, our industry, the water treatment industry, people involved in boilers and cooling towers, all started to experience either cancellation or rapid escalation of product liability insurance here in the uh, States. And so in light of that, uh, my dad and a group of other guys got together and said, we kind of need to form a captive insurance company if we're going to have a market to be able to secure liability insurance for our companies. And so that was the, uh, that was kind of the genesis of the association. Um, At that time, you had to be a member of the association. And then if you remember the association, one of the member benefits was that you could buy liability insurance. So it helped a lot of us stay in business, frankly, but that's, uh, yeah, my dad was involved in that effort. He sure was.
0: I was president back in 2011, and of course, that came with its own set of challenges, as, as every year does, but nothing like this year. Of course, uh, you're having to deal with changing our regular format because we've got COVID-19. So what has that been like?
1: Well, Trace, that's a great question. Um, you're right. This has been a year like no other for all of us, and um, shoot uh not just our awt events but everything in all our lives um, it, it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of us are shooting at moving targets and from week to week sometimes uh, what we're faced with changes but the board uh, very progressive board very forward thinking a lot of talent on the board you mentioned that aWt is the volunteer organization and gosh, some of these folks that have volunteered and just give a ton of their time and their expertise trace it. It's what makes the association function. But um, I would say months ago in the spring as COVID became a reality, we started talking about what ifs. And one of the what ifs is what if we couldn't meet in person. And then as, as, uh, as the spring progressed into the early summer, it became more and more apparent that we better have a pretty solid backup plan. So with the help of MSP, which is a management company that, that the association works with, we started planning kind of a dual-track approach to this year's convention, and MSP started evaluating some, some virtual platforms, while at the same time we were planning for an in-person meeting. The tipping point for us came when some civil unrest in Louisville, which was our host city this year, resulted in damage to the host hotel and the convention center. And we, we got to the point where we weren't sure that the host hotel was going to be open. We weren't sure that the convention center was going to be able to host the event. We weren't sure if the state of Kentucky or the city of Louisville was going to allow gatherings. And so, Trace, we reached the point, frankly, where the only thing we could schedule that we absolutely knew we could have would be an interactive Uh, type of event. So under the leadership of Michael Bourgeois, who was the convention chair this year, uh, the convention committee made the decision to uh, head in that direction. And that's kind of how we arrived at this uh, platform that we're going to use this year for what I think is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal meeting.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that because many of us have been to an AWT uh, exposition or another trade show and we can mentally picture what that's gonna be like, but nobody's really experienced COVID-19 and be, and not being able to gather before. So what does a virtual platform look like?
1: Well, Trace, we obviously won't be the first people to have virtual meetings. A lot of us before COVID-19 had heard of GoToMeeting and things like Microsoft Teams and Zoom. And so all of us, whether we, whether we realized it or not, we all were kind of participating and dabbling in what I'll call the virtual world. Well, um, there were companies who became subject matter experts at what a virtual or interactive experience might look like for a convention, a trade show, an exhibition hall, speakers presentations, etc. The platform that AWT has selected is a platform called VFairs, and what a robust selection that is. Uh, the VFairs is completely interactive, it's completely immersive, and allows us to continue to have... The things that people are familiar with when they've come to convention, we'll still have commercial corners, we'll still have our tracks, we'll still have our training, uh, papers and presentations. And the most, I think the kind of the most amazing thing is the virtual trade show floor. Uh, This VFairs platform is just really, really cool when when it comes to that. Everyone uh, who's a member has probably gotten a couple of emails anyway, where there's a demo. And I would encourage everyone, if they haven't already, to take a look at that demo. You literally can make your way virtually through a trade show, and you'll be able to go up to people's booths, our, our, our vendor suppliers, and uh, interact at their booth much as, very much as if you were there in person. So uh, really immersive, very interactive, just a really, really robust platform.
0: I'll make sure to put the link to the demo on our show notes page so people can do that very thing. Some questions that I have is if I go to a trade show, I make a schedule, I know where I need to be at 10 o'clock, at 11 o'clock and so on. And I'm making appointments with various vendors that I want to talk to. Then I might want to make my way out and network and try to meet some new people. How do we do that with a virtual platform?
1: Well, that's a great question. And the vFairs platform actually allows for that. And, and, Trace, I've done a little bit of that. I mean, I probably worked the convention, if you will, the same way you do in person. And in looking at the VFairs platform and what we're going to offer membership this year, I think it actually will be more efficient than being there in person. Uh, I certainly don't discount the value of being in person and look forward to next year being in Providence, Rhode Island for the, for the in-person event. But I am looking forward to being able to, this year, actually scheduling a time at a booth. Trace, I don't know if you've ever experienced going up to a booth where you have a a certain amount of time and you need to visit with three people at three different booths about some business regarding your uh, company. And when you get there, there's two other people in front of you and um, you're looking at your watch or your phone and you realize, gosh, I want to be at this commercial corner and you don't get to see or do what you planned on doing during that time. Well, with this VFairs platform, you can literally make an appointment to interact with somebody at their booth. So if you needed to see the folks at Radical Polymers, you could make an appointment with Chelsea Standish or with Mike. And at a specific time, you could either interact with them via Zoom, via a chat. Gosh, you could even, I suppose, FaceTime on your phone. Uh, So that's going to be more efficient. I think that is more efficient for all of us because uh, uh, I'm like you. During those convention days, they're very busy, and there's things I don't want to miss. And so, being able to schedule time when I can encounter folks at their booths is going to be a super efficient way to do it compared to kind of what I've experienced in the past. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Tom, let me ask, because one of the great things about going away to a convention is that you're getting out of the office so you can work more on the business and not necessarily be in the business. and let's just be real, you know, we're going to be at our desks, we're going to be looking at our monitors, the phone's going to ring, and a lot of people, they're going to have to take that call, people are going to come into their offices. So let's say I wanted to attend a 10 o'clock presentation, but somebody needs me in my office, I'm not able to make that. So what are my options?
1: Well, the great thing about the virtual piece is everything will be recorded. So if you missed a specific Time that you wanted to be in a commercial corner or hear a presentation about, um, you know, interpreting and applying scale indices, for example, is going to be one of the presentations. And you, you get tied up and you don't make it. One of the one of the great things about the virtual world is that that will be recorded and you'll be able to access that at your convenience. That's a big win compared to being there in person, getting tied up and missing something. And once you've missed it, that's it. You can read the paper, but Trace, as you know, it's not the same as uh, hearing the presentation from the presenter. The other neat thing is uh, this is going to be an interactive event. So just as if you were in the room with a speaker, this VFairs platform will allow you to live chat and ask questions just as, you know, we frequently have Q&A after uh, a presentation. That won't be any different. You'll be able to live chat and ask questions of the speaker. There'll be a moderator, just as there is um, in the room live. That moderator will relay questions, and uh, you'll get your answers just as if you were in the room. So, again, this VFAIRS platform is very robust. I think people – this is not going to be uh, sitting on a Zoom call or watching a webinar. Uh, think, Think way more interactive than that.
0: Let's shift to the people that are going to be exhibiting. They're used to having a booth where uh, they can usher people into the booth and show them the wares that they have for the show. How are they going to be able to do that this year?
1: So Here's the great thing about the interactive trade show portion or exhibit hall portion of this platform. Vendors are being able to customize their booth. They're able to load video content at their booth so for example if you and i walked up to master's booth um, we could click on video content where gary garcia might be introducing a new test kit or a new product that he has Uh, they'll be able to they'll have a literature section where you'll be able to click on literature about product Uh, let's say you're at a pump controller manufacturers you'll be able to click on literature and trace it's super cool uh, that literature will be automatically emailed to you later that day. So you don't have to carry anything, anything around, uh, which is kind of nice. You don't have to be collecting papers and presentations and copies of things. You just click on what you want at the booth and it'll automatically be emailed to you. They also can have live chat sessions set up where someone can be there to answer your questions. They can also have a Zoom platform in their booth. So you could literally Zoom with them and interact one-on-one, face-to-face, real time. So not that different than um, having a booth in person than it is with this virtual platform, given its robustness. The other thing I'll say that uh, people have talked about that is kind of exciting, no one's going to have the expense of travel and no one's going to have the expense of hotel rooms. So some of the positive feedback we're hearing about this, Trace, is that I'm going to be able to send more people because the registration is very attractive and uh, no airfare, no hotels, no meals. And your folks uh, don't have to be out of their marketplace for three or four days at conventions. Um, so there's some real benefits to this. I'm not saying that it's, uh, that we'll never do in person again, but there are some benefits that we think are going to be exciting for the membership. Trace, the other thing I'd like to point out that uh, I think is a tremendous testament to the acceptance of this format is all of our speakers are on board. Everybody is in, is fully engaged and uh, with some trepidation maybe, but is excited about the opportunity to to participate. Uh, all of our speakers are going to be presenting uh, the robust lineup of papers and presentations that everybody's used to at an AWT meeting. will be there just as they always have. And uh, we're excited about that. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great, really, really great show.
0: What are the registration fees this year?
1: So from a, any given company, for the first two registrants, it's $420. And then everyone after that is $150. So in the past, you'll recall that frequently that registration is $600 for a person in, to come to the convention. Um, on top of that, you have airfare and hotel room. Well, this platform, this version of the, the convention is going to allow us to offer a, a more affordable registration fee. And then on top of that, our member companies are all going to save all the travel costs associated with getting people to Louisville. So we're anticipating member companies being able to send a lot more people than they would typically send to an in-person event.
0: And if somebody hasn't registered yet, what should they do?
1: Well, the easiest way to do that, Trace, is go to awt.org and register online for the convention. It's a really seamless, quick process. awt.org and register online.
0: Tom, earlier you mentioned that we can attend one of the sessions, and it seems like the benefit is now we're able to ask questions, uh, get those questions answered. But if we can't attend, you said they were going to be recorded. How long do we have access to those materials?
1: So as it stands right now, everyone who pays the registration fee will have access to all of the recorded sessions for 30 days. So that gives you 30 days post-meeting and uh, trace the event is, begins Wednesday, September 30th, and goes through Friday, October 2nd. But that gives you 30 days, so essentially the whole month of October, if you missed something, to go back and review that recorded material. Again, kind of a nice thing that we don't, we don't have the option of doing when we're in person. So yeah, for 30 days, you'll be able to access to that material.
0: Well, Tom, this was very informative. I know uh, it's it's just easy to think about all the things we don't have because we're dealing with COVID-19 and and other issues right now, but there are also a lot of benefits that you pointed out.
1: Well, that's true. And Trace, don't forget that one of the things that this is going to help with, the board feels very strongly that this provides a unique opportunity for some of our international members to attend who would never especially given these these times who would never be able to travel in person from their home country and come to Louisville they might not anyway but this format gives them the opportunity to participate when they might not be able to and it allows them to participate at a much more reasonable investment than would typically be the case if they were coming in person. so uh, we think the board the board anticipates that our international attendance, will be significantly higher than it is for an in-person meeting. And that's that's great for the association because it exposes a bunch more people in a bunch more countries to AWT and what we have to offer.
0: Well, if there's something that COVID-19 has definitely proved to everybody is we are a global economy. Gosh, isn't that the case? Tom, absolutely one of my favorite parts about coming to uh, the convention is meeting people I haven't met yet. And, and it's the networking. So how are we gonna do that with this format? Well,
1: um, Trace, the, right, the way the format works is everyone will set up a profile when they register for the convention and you'll have access as an attendee, you'll have access to the profiles of all the other attendees. So when you see our friend Mark Lewis is registered, you'll have the opportunity to chat him up on this platform as if you were face-to-face. So the networking opportunities will exist just as they always have. Um, they just won't be face-to-face. They'll be in a, in a uh, live chat or a virtual format. But uh, there are going to be opportunities and time set aside for those networking situations. And so, yeah, I'll at, at convention, uh, virtually, I'll be able to click on you and say, hey, Trace, how you doing? Let's talk about scaling up.
0: And you should yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you mentioned Mark Lewis. Mark Lewis has become one of my closest friends. We met at an AWT convention, uh, in Palm Springs, maybe back in 2004, I think when we, when we went there. Uh, and I got to ask, cause I know Mark very well. Mark used to work for you. What was that like? So,
1: so, Mark and I go back a long time. You're correct. Mark was 18 years old when he came to work for us. And he, um, Our sales manager at the time had uh, moved to Jacksonville, and he knew this kid, Mark Lewis, whose wife babysat for them. Well, the wife, obviously, as you know, was Kathy. And so Kathy and Mark had moved to Jacksonville, and Mark had uh, been an electrician's helper and was just this enthusiastic big kid that was a lot of fun and uh, came on board with us and worked in the plant and uh, shipping, receiving, manufacturing, that kind of thing did a great job, learned our business trace, and as you know, worked his way through uh, eventually becoming a, a CWT and, gosh, was our uh, business development manager uh, before he and Kathy moved to the Charlotte area. So yeah, Mark, I think Mark was with us for, gosh, between 15 and 20 years. So we go back a long way as well.
0: Well, I had to ask because uh, I, I know I know being Mark's friend has just been interesting. We'll, we'll say that. he's a He's a heck of a guy. And uh, I'm sure you've got lots of stories that probably aren't appropriate to say on this podcast.
1: That's true. That's very true.
0: (laughs) I remember as president, I brought so much back to my company when I was on the board. So I'm curious, what lessons have you taken away from being on the AWT board that you've applied to your company?
1: Gosh, Trace, that's a great question. Um, You know, it's interesting. I think some of the lessons, some of the things you learn, some of the things that you take away, you don't even realize. It's just over the years of being on calls in the boardroom, on committee calls, being a committee liaison, um, you just hear about, I'll call them best practices or things other people are doing. And it's not with intentionality, but those things just by osmosis, kind of make their way into the fabric of of your your own company, your own organization. But I will say this, that uh, for me, watching, you know, the two or three presidents before me and their leadership style in the boardroom was helpful. You know, it's, uh, we don't often in our roles, or at least in my role, I don't often get to see I'm the leader, right, In, in my organization. People look to me to be the leader. And in that boardroom situation, I'm just a worker bee, and there's a president, and at a board meeting, they're leading the board meeting, and and seeing some of that leadership style uh, is is really good. The other thing I think that working in a group uh, like the AWT board typically is, very diverse personalities, and and people come from very different perspectives, uh, both because of the size of the company they might represent, but also just the geographic region they're in, and so I think that there's some excellent takeaways, uh, both in, in leadership style and, and learning how to work with those diverse personalities in a, in a setting like that.
0: Tom, you've been in water treatment for quite a while. What's one of the funniest stories you have in water treatment?
1: Well, I have a lot of funny stories that just kind of like the Mark Lewis comment wouldn't be appropriate for your show. Your, your show would be canceled if I told you some of them, but, um, one that I can tell you that I always just kind of chuckle about, we had a sales rep that was known to kind of try to slip things in on his expense account from time to time. And uh, our controller who approved expenses would come to me from time to time with something strange and uh, we'd we'd get it worked out. Well, there was a a $1,200 dinner at a very fancy restaurant on this person's expenses one month. And I called this person and I said, hey, what's up with this dinner? And he said, well, the dinner wasn't that expensive. It was the bottle of wine. We had an $800 bottle of wine. And I, I said something like, wow. And I said, what was the occasion? And he said, well, we sold a new account and the production manager and his wife and me and my wife went out for dinner and we were celebrating. And I said, well, yeah, I, I guess you will. And I said, I hope that bottle of wine was really good because a company can't pay for that. We're not, we're not going to pay for that. And um, uh, the funny part of that story, Trace, obviously, is it is funny that somebody tried to put an $800 bottle of wine on their expenses. But the funniest part was when I inquired about the account, I said, how big was this account? And our sales rep said, well, Tom, it's going to be $1,400 a year by the time we get <laughs> it up and going. <laughs> so it was just mind-boggling. That left me speechless. That left me more speechless than the $800 bottle of wine.
0: Wow. Well, I guess that's the way you get your commission up front. It was crazy. It was crazy. I remember when I worked for another company, uh, one of my sales reps turned in expense reports and uh, I don't know how I noticed this, but uh, he went to Waffle House a lot, and uh, I noticed all of his receipts were sequential. So apparently what he had done was gotten a pad from somebody, and, and I questioned him on it, and uh, he, of course, came clean, and then he, of course, suffered the consequences of that. But, um, but yeah, um, it, it's a lot easier to be honest, so I'll just say that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We, we had this w- different guy, okay? But we had on a, uh, on a receipt from a guy one time, a salt and pepper shaker from a restaurant. And not nearly as funny, but he was on a date and the, his date, like the salt and pepper shaker, said they would go well in her kitchen. And so he got the restaurant to sell him the salt and pepper shaker off the table and he put it on his expense account. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, there you go, folks. If you guys are submitting expense reports, please be aware that somebody is looking at them. Yeah, that's for sure. So, Tom, a uh, great life that, that you've had. If you have the ability to do one do-over, what would it be?
1: Well, gosh, I, I've learned more from my mistakes in life than the things I've done right. So I don't know that I want to give up the, the experiences and the things I learned from my mistakes. But if, uh, if, you know, we're just looking at um, not necessarily professional, but just in life in general, um, I had the chance, I, I could have played golf in college, and I, I probably should have said, you know what, I can work anytime. I, I'm going to go play golf for a few years in college, and uh, that's probably something I do differently.
0: So it's obvious that you love being a water treater. What's one specific thing that you love about it?
1: That's an easy question. Um, And I tell our people this all the time. Uh, Even for me, as many years as I've been at this, I can honestly say that I can't think of a week that goes by that I don't learn or relearn something. Uh, And I think that's a really fascinating thing about our business, that in any given week, uh, I have the opportunity to learn something new or relearn something that I've forgotten. Um, And that's kind of the great thing about our industry for me is that It's not a static, stagnant kind of industry. Um, There's always new things to learn, and there's always innovation, and there's always different things going on. And so um, I I won't say that every day I learn something new, but Trace, I don't know about your experience, but for me, there's never a week that goes by that I can't look back and say, gosh, that was a unique experience.
0: Yeah, that is my favorite thing about being part of this industry uh, I've seen so many things may- be made uh, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity before. I've gotten knowledge from people that are just proud of producing the product that they do, and they give me personal tours. And then, of course, you know, being involved with the association, knowing people like yourself, and finding a problem and not knowing what the solution is, and using that network and learning something new from that, and then, of course, spend something else that we learn. Yeah, this is definitely an industry that, uh, that allows us to, to learn something new every single day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Tom, and there's no doubt about it, being a water treater is a difficult profession. Uh, we've really got to be on our toes. We've got to stay up on new information. We've got to make sure our customers understand something that they don't inherently understand. But when you own a water treatment business, that becomes even harder. So my question is, uh, what do you want somebody to know that works for somebody that owns a water treatment business that might help them understand a little bit more about the person who's sitting in the president's chair?
1: Well, I don't know. Trace, that's hard to distill that into one single thing, but uh, what comes to mind very quickly, especially in our industry, is uh, how burdensome regulations can be, whether it's uh, environmental regulations or just – DOT regulations or OSHA regulations, but just staying compliant with regulations, and then on top of that, are kind of or tied to it, are just the cost of licenses and fees and things that you have to do to be able to operate. All that stuff can be really burdensome to keep up with, both from a time perspective and a financial perspective. I think a couple other things. Um, it's it's really important. I don't think people always realize this, but it's really important for a company to be profitable. If a company isn't profitable, they can't reinvest in their business. And if they can't reinvest in their business, they can't reinvest in their people. Um, and certainly the right people are the key to any of our business, not just water treatment businesses, but in any business, you have a successful company, you've got great people. And I know that's the case at Premier, that the people are what make us tick, uh, makes our, our machine run. Um, and then, uh, you know, the 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 necessity of making a profit is really critical. And I'm, I'm not sure people always realize that. And then I guess the last thing is the importance of culture. Um, and and I'll, I'm sure from where you sit that, you know, you realize that you have to cast culture uh, for your company. And um, uh, that's something we're always trying to do better at Premier. And I think some of that burden falls on people like you and me that, that culture is really important. And if you, don't own, if, you don't, if you don't own the business, you don't realize how
0: important that is. Tom, you've seen a lot of things in your water treatment career. What's something you just want water treaters to stop doing?
1: Well, gosh, where our competitors are concerned, I don't want to tell you that because if they're listening as part of scaling up nation, they're going to stop doing it. And and sometimes we're able to take business from them because they're doing things. But I guess one of the mistakes I see a lot in our industry is is over-promising, creating an expectation with a customer that's not realistic. And then when they don't achieve that promise, it kind of gives everybody in the industry a bad name. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen that?
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, we're coming right out of Legionella Awareness Month. And so many times customers will have an expectation that just because they have a water treatment program, you know, they are led to expect that they shouldn't have any issues or ever get a positive Legionella.
1: That's a great example. That's a great example. But yeah, I'd say that over-promising piece because when, when you create an expectation that's unreasonable, it affects all of us. It affects anybody who ever calls on that person, whether they're at that company or whether they move to another company and you're calling on them at a, at a different company. If we all did a better job of outlining the expectation, in other words, what's the, uh, what's the destination of this investment they're going to make in water treatment, and then we met that expectation or exceeded that, I think it would help the industry a lot.
0: That's great advice. Well, I have a few more questions for you. and We're going to move into our lightning round session. So are you ready for those questions?
1: Oh boy, here we go.
0: (laughs) All right. So you now have the ability to go back in time and speak to your former self on your first day as a water treater. What advice would you give?
1: Oh, that's easy. Um, I wish I would have realized that I should have started calling on people sooner. I made the mistake of waiting until I thought I knew enough, but as I learned more, I realized there was more I didn't know, and I wasted a bunch of time where I could have been knocking on doors and and making friends and calling on people. So if I could do it over again, I would tell myself, hey, just start knocking on doors and calling on people, and if you run into something you don't understand, somebody back at the company will support me from a technical standpoint,
0: I'm never going to know it all. What are the last few books that you've read?
1: The last few books I've read. Okay. So Trace, I'm terrible about this. I will start multiple books and, and have multiple books going at, at the same time. But in terms of finishing, um, I recently completed a book about, uh, the Penske organization and a, an effort they made in 1994 to develop an engine that they eventually used in a car that won the Indianapolis 500. And, uh, it was a collaborative effort where they they uh, saw a loophole in the rules, and the book talked about how they um, took advantage of that loophole, and how many people had to collaborate, kind of in secret, to make this come together for them to be successful. I, I thought it was a, a fascinating piece on uh, just collaboration and bringing together multiple skill sets to make uh, to accomplish a goal. The other thing, uh, let's see, Gordon Murray has a book, actually a two-volume set, uh, called One Formula, that uh, Gordon Murray is a car designer um, and uh, race car and street cars. He worked for a little outfit called McLaren that you might have heard of. Yeah. So anyway, very fascinating. Uh, He covers his life starting in South Africa and then moving to Europe and being involved in race teams and production car efforts. Uh, kind of a biographical piece, which is fascinating. And then I guess the third one I'll tell you about is I'm reading a book called Scandalous Witness, and it's a book that looks at what, maybe what a Christian witness would look like today, absent the politicalization of Christianity that has occurred. Uh, so those are kind of, those are my most recent reads.
0: I have to say, I have always been jealous of people that can read multiple books at the same time. I can't keep them straight if I try to do that.
1: So it's a bad habit. I wish I, did. I, wish I didn't. But I'll, uh, someone will give me a book or tell me about a book before I finish the, another book, and I'll get that book, and I'll start that. It's, it's a terrible habit. I apologize. Don't, I would recommend you not do it. Don't get started trying to do
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from your mistakes.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: There's no doubt about it. Hollywood is going to hear this interview, and they are going to start writing a script about Tom Brandvold's life. Who do they hire to play you in the movie? Um, okay, so
1: I've got to tell you, I've, I cheated on this. Um, you and I talked about this, and so I asked a couple people here at the office that I work with, and one said uh, Keanu Reeves, and another one said uh, John Hamm. So. Uh you tell me who do you think would be a better choice?
0: <laughs> well, I guess I'd have to ask that person. Is that the Keanu Reeves that was in Bill and Ted's or is that the Keanu Reeves that was later in the the Devil's Advocate? So so we got we got to figure out which genre of film that we were in.
1: Yeah, they mentioned the Matrix. So I I don't know.
0: All right, all right. So uh hard to believe, but my last question so now you have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with, and why?
1: Gosh, anybody ever?
0: Anybody ever?
1: Well, uh, not just in light of our current situation with this social unrest and COVID and everything else going on, but you know, if I had the chance, I'd love to chat to that chat with that Jesus of Nazareth guy. Um, I think it'd be uh, fascinating to get his take on a few of the things that are going on, and I have some questions that. Uh, I think that he could answer that maybe no one else could.
0: Right, right. He definitely does have a unique perspective.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, Tom, this has been a, a great interview. Uh, learned a lot about you. Uh, learned numerous reasons why we need to go and attend the Association of Water Technologies convention this year. Thank you for all that you
1: do, both with your podcast and and uh, for the association, your prior service. And people may not know it, but... Um, they need to know how active you continue to be in the association, whether it's uh, when we need a trainer or when we need to bounce things off you. Uh, Just thank you for being such an advocate for our industry and the association.
0: Tom, thanks so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O and sharing so much about your career and and letting us know what it's going to be like for this year's virtual convention. I also want to thank you for the kind words that you said at the end. That means a lot to me, and I want the Scaling Up Nation to know that uh, I get so much from serving in an association like the Association of Water Technologies, and I don't think I would have this podcast had it not been for AWT and the experiences that led me up to doing my first episode of Scaling Up H2O. Now, that being said, please do not go listen to my first episode because that is probably the worst thing ever recorded. And by the way, for those people that started with me on episode one, thank you for sticking with me. I think I've gotten a little bit better since episode one. And for those of you that are trying something new you know, go listen to my episode one. I know I just said, don't go back and listen to it. But look, we don't start out doing something new well. But if it's something we wanna do and it's something that we practice, you will get better. And if you need proof of that, by all means, go listen to episode one. Now, Nation, one of the most challenging endeavors of my life was serving on the AWT board and being president in 2011. Now, I don't necessarily say that in a negative way, but folks, it's a lot of work. I mean, you are giving a lot of yourself to an organization, but I have to tell you, because I decided to do that, I gained so much I gained knowledge, I gained relationships, I gained uh, new ideas that I never thought about for solving a problem. So folks, I encourage you, Tom mentioned it, if you are in the water treatment industry and you can find a group like the Association of Water Technologies, please consider being a part of it. It really does put you as part of a fraternity, as Tom said. And again, who really knows what the heck you do as a job but another water treater? So when you become part of a group like that, the results can be tremendous. This is the exact reason that I started the Rising Tide Mastermind, Uh, but this is also the reason I stay involved with the Association of Water Technologies. We only get one chance at this life, so please make sure what you are doing is something that you love. Now, fortunately for me, that is 100% water treatment. And I hope to share that passion that I have about water treatment on each and every podcast that I bring to you. Tom mentioned that if you want to register for this year's AWT convention, you can simply go to awt.org click on their convention registrations picture and it will take you right to that page. Now, if you go to our show notes page, we will send you directly to that convention page. So either way, it's gonna take you to the same spot, But by all means, if you're listening in the car, don't write anything down. I will make sure to have all of that on our show notes. If you're thinking that you're not going to attend or exhibit because this year is virtual, I ask that you reconsider. When you're a member of an organization, you need to support it. And that includes good times and bad. Nobody could predict that COVID-19 was going to happen and all of the things that we're having to do were going to be things that we were going to have to deal with. So the board of the association is doing the best that they can to bring a format to us that's going to be different. Now, different doesn't necessarily mean bad, it just means different. So, I urge you that if you are considering not registering for the convention or you're an exhibitor and you're considering not exhibiting at the virtual convention to please reconsider that because there's so many more tools than what we normally have in person. And of course, the more people we have, the more successful this is Going to be. So think about all the other people you're helping have a fantastic experience by you staying involved in this year's convention. Now, I will have on my show notes page the virtual walkthrough that Tom mentioned. So if you're curious what the experience is going to look like, you can go to scalinguph2o.com, go to the show notes, and you can click right on that and you can see what is going on. Now, we are exhibiting as Scaling Up H2O and the Rising Tide Mastermind at the AWT convention this year. Now we have exhibited in other areas for our primary water treatment company, but we've never done it as a podcast or a mastermind. And we've never done it at AWT. So not only am I advising all the exhibitors out there to please continue with your regular registrations and exhibit as normal, or as normal as we can on this platform, I am putting my money where my mouth is and I am exhibiting this year. So by all means, when you go to attend the virtual exhibit hall, please stop by the Scaling Up H2O Rising Tide Mastermind booth. And we're gonna have some information while we're creating videos that you are going to be able to watch. So if you're wondering what a typical mastermind call is like, you can view what a call looks like We've got some testimonies from some of our members, and we're gonna try to answer most of your questions. You know, Tom mentioned that fraternity, there is just so much that is added to your experience as a water treater when you get into a room with like-minded people and you share issues that you are having and you get advice from people that know exactly what you are going through. I cannot tell you how much having the Rising Tide Mastermind has helped me. And of course, you're going to hear when you go into our booth how it has helped others. So uh, my ask is that you stop by our booth. But before you do that, my ask is that you register for this convention. You know, another thing that I will add about the association's convention being virtual this year is there is no travel expense. Uh, Tom mentioned that as he was talking with us, but folks, it is a factor of 10 more expensive to go to a live event. So, I ask all of you out there, and especially you that own water treatment companies, to consider not only registering yourself, but register some of the other employees that are in your company that don't normally get a chance to go. Now, what I will also ask is that you assign certain people certain papers that they need to attend and then they need to deliver a digest of what they saw later with your company. I know people come up to me all the time. They say, Trace, I would send people to more AWT events or more other functions if I really got a payback. And folks, I really think as a business owner, We don't set them up for success in the beginning. So what I ask you to do is you come up with a set of expectations that we're going to send you to this But this is what we expect in return. And folks, when somebody is sitting through something because they know that they're going to have to deliver a presentation on what they're listening to, you better believe that they're going to be attentive. And folks, it's not all bad for those of you that aren't the boss. You're going to learn even more because that's going to force you to do that. And most people don't feel comfortable in public speaking. And I say every chance you get to do some public speaking, take that opportunity because it gets easier. And that's what this is. This is another opportunity for you to get in front of your company and let them know what you learned at this virtual convention. So again, I hope you stop by our booth at this virtual convention. The convention's going to be September 30th through October 2nd. So please mark your calendars for that. And then right after the AWT convention is Industrial Water Week. This is the third year that we've celebrated Industrial Water Week. It's going to be October 5th through 9th. Each and every day, we are going to celebrate another aspect of being an industrial water treater. Every year we've done something a little bit different, but stay tuned because we are going to make this year very exciting. We're gonna have an episode each and every day for Industrial Water Week, so you won't want to miss that. In fact, my team is working hand in hand with the person that put Industrial Water Week on the map, James McDonald, so you know this year will be very special. Nation, as you know, there is so much more to being a water treater than servicing an account. I urge you to find an organization that can help you get more nuggets of knowledge that will enhance your skills as a water treater. And moreover, it just makes it more fun to go to work each and every day. Until next time, have a great week, folks. On episode 136, we gave you an inside look at what happens in the rising tide mastermind. Friend of show Mark Lewis was asked why he joined the Rising Tide Mastermind, and here is his reply. When the mastermind group was introduced, I said, "Let me get in on this thing. I want to be a part of this. I want to learn how to be more productive and uh, make my days to where I can enjoy my family time and separated from my work time." And so. I like what Trace does and so I said I want to be I want to do things a lot like Trace so let me let me figure out what he's doing so that's why I joined the group. Mark thanks so much for your comment and I really appreciate that you like how I handle things and get things done but I have to fess up here's the secret I've had a lot of help being able to negotiate all of the different tasks that i'm asked to do and make sure that they get done and that wasn't all me that was because i decided years ago almost 10 years ago to join a mastermind group and i've been meeting with that group on a regular basis since that time now what we do on that group is the same thing we're doing in the rising tide mastermind we are helping each other get further faster we're helping each other with our issues we're giving each other tools that maybe the other person doesn't have and we're letting each other ask each other for help and we're giving help folks that's what a mastermind is all about And I truly feel that we are not built to do life alone. And the secret to being successful is getting with people that can help you to that success. I urge you to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to learn more. And if this group is right for you, please schedule an appointment with me. If this group is not right for you, please find one that is. Again, we are not built to do life alone.